Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin, and my guest today is the always entertaining Andy Sheckman. Always a pleasure to chat with the president of Miles Franklin Precious Metals, where you should go to buy your precious metals if you choose to do so. Now, this interview was fun. As always, we cover a lot of ground in the hour, so I encourage you to stick through to the end. I got an update on Andy's de-dollarization thesis and the BRICS currency concept, so very, very enlightening. I publish a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Sunday, and I'd love to have you join the team. If you enjoy my style, there's a link right beneath this piece of content where you can subscribe to my weekly essay. I talk about personal sovereignty, wealth creation, and general health optimization, which is all aligned on our path towards personal sovereignty, emancipating ourselves from the consequences of other people's poor decisions. Here's Andy Sheckman. Enjoy. All right, here I am with Andy Sheckman back on the channel and it's about time i can't believe it was june since the last time we, we did this time flies man how, how you been been good been good jay yeah time does fly in fact you know when i look back over the last three years since the pandemic started it, it's a blur it's it's truly a blur not just because interest in this industry has been extraordinary but it just seems everything is melded together and, and a year just flies by like that. But it, it's good to be here. I appreciate having me back. It's great to be at your show and, and I'm a big fan of, of what it is you're doing. So again, thanks for having me back today. Our pleasure's all mine, man. Let's start here then. Um, Ronnie Stofferly was circulating this tweet this week showing the number one, uh, search on Google for a couple of days was how to buy gold. Uh, what do you make of this, Andy? Because we've been watching gold making sort of false starts, so like maybe a run, maybe not a run, then it pulls back. I mean, frankly, I think the price is pretty healthy and, uh, and, uh, the trend is absolutely moving in our favor. Nothing goes up in a straight line, but what do you make of sentiment right now? What's, what are you seeing? Uh, in the last 35 days, we've added, um, over 13,000 clients. And that's what we would typically add in three years. Uh, we added it in 35 days. Since Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, the anxiety level has been unlike anything I can really kind of even begin to explain to you here. If I were sitting having a beer with you and talking for an hour, I might be able to kind of let you know what it was like. But I guess I'll look at it. I'll say it to you this way. During Silver Squeeze, I thought we would never see demand ever again like we saw during Silver Squeeze where it was, you know, 18, 20 hour days for a week or 10 days. But that was motivated by greed. I mean, they say we're motivated in two ways, by fear and by greed. And this was people wanting to capitalize on GameStop, on AMC, squeeze the bullion bank, squeeze the silver market, they thought, make a fortune. Okay, cool. Wrong motivation. That's not why you buy precious metals. You buy it because it is wealth. Not to get wealthy. It is wealth. But you flip-flop the table and I say to you, hey, you know, your stock market, your bond market, your real estate market, yeah, they're all shaky. But when I tell you that the bank that you think is not a speculative uh, endeavor, that it's just the place you put your money and know it's always there, if I tell you that can fall upside down, well, that's a whole different thing. And the anxiety that has been poured upon me over the past uh, three, three and a half, four weeks is really, Jay, it's just the sentiment is off the charts. And yet it only represents, but yet a very small portion of the, of the public at large. I think we haven't seen anything yet. And if indeed, uh, we see another one of these banks fail, like First Republic, sure seems like it's kind of hanging on by a thread. In fact, Jim Rickard says he thinks it's going to fail tonight or, um, or Sunday, Sunday morning. And, uh, if that happens, I think it will reignite this anxiety, this fear that, hey, there really isn't very many safe places to be. And that always brings me back to Doug Casey's famous saying that gold and silver are the only assets that are not simultaneously someone else's liability. And this theme of counterparty risk is only getting, I think, more and more and more prevalent and, and will as time goes on. Yeah, 100%. That is amazing. Essentially three years of business in the last 35 days. Same, man. I look tired. I haven't slept, but it, and it's a blessing. It is, but it's crazy, really crazy. And, uh, huh. so uh, it, it's, it's, I think just the very, very beginning because so few people, you know, you and I speak to the pimple on the elephant and the elephant, the pimple's getting bigger. 
Yeah. But the elephant, when the elephant realizes what's going on, that's when it's a whole different game changer. And that's when this industry will be defined by the complete and total inability to find product. That I do believe. Could you estimate what you think precious metals ownership is in the U.S. right now as a percentage of population? I don't know for sure, but I always, you know, my friend Rick Rule always says that if you take the Harvard Endowment Fund all the way down to Joe Sixpack, that that allocation is roughly one half of 1%. Now, I would say it might have expanded. Let's call it three quarters of a percent, one percent. So one percent of the entire financial matrix has an allocation to precious metals, that being in the United States. It's still woefully, woefully um, under allocated to the public at large. And the thing of it is, is that what, what boggles my mind, you don't have to be overly sophisticated in financial um, uh, financial assets to understand that, you know, look for alternatives to a system that is, that is in trouble. If you don't sidestep traditional financial assets, stocks, bonds, and real estate, and we continue to see rates rise and the economy crumble, um, underneath it, I think that you, you're missing what is the only safe place to be right now. People say, well, what about treasuries? Yeah. I guess you could say that, but here again, we got the debt ceiling coming up in just a few days. What does that mean if they don't pass it? If there's a stalemate between the Republicans and the Democrats, what does that mean? I mean, we're technically broke and insolvent. At some point, the rubber has to meet the road with what we can spend versus what we're borrowing and indebting and, and you know, putting our, our children and our grandchildren in, in, in debt for the rest of their lives. So. This is all in flux, but I, I do think that you're going to see a, a larger expansion into, into precious metals. People will understand when things start to go upside down, there are very few places. And this is why I think you could make the argument that this is why the central banks bought more gold over the last 18 months, really, than in any time in history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look prior to January, it was the second most in history, the most since 1967. But their numbers are doubling down. If you look month over month increase since the end of the year, it's approaching 200% increase month over month. They are doubling down, that being the central banks, their acquisition of gold and silver. And I think they're using the suppression of the Western price to run cover for it. And, you know, that's allowing them to do this without really catching the attention. You mentioned at the beginning, it starts and it stops. Look, you know, there's suppression, big suppression on COMEX. In fact, right now, it might be the largest commercial bank short position ever on COMEX right now. They are trying desperately to cap it, to keep it from running because it is the barometer of, of the health of the, of the, of the dollar of the system. It speaks to the frailty of the system and letting gold and silver run is something they really don't want to do. And, and quite frankly, it just seems completely idiotic and counterintuitive. They have such a massive short position in gold right now in this environment when the central banks of the rest of the world are on a buying spree. I think it's a very, very dangerous place to be. I, I agree with you. Now, because you mentioned First Republic, I want to talk to you about the bank insolvencies we've seen thus far, but more importantly, the impact of those, right? There's been a couple of winners in this scenario, one being JP Morgan, another being Bank of America. They're scooping up clients. Do you expect that consolidation at the very top end of the banking sector to continue? And what does that expose people to? What's the vulnerability that occurs when we see massive bank consolidation? Yeah, it's, it's 100% happening. And you could argue that the Fed is aiding and abetting this. In fact, it's, it's not really, you don't have to look too hard to see that they are aiding and abetting this because, all right, let's, let's, let's look at what happens. So you get, first of all, we all, we've all been, uh, led to believe that bailouts were illegal since the 08 financial crisis and bail-ins were now the new thing where you become an unsecured general creditor of the bank. So Silicon Valley Bank goes upside down and everyone thinks that they're going to be bailed in. Now, you know, they had some political clout there, I guess, and, and there were startups in, in the, in the tech sector and there was enough, uh, enough lobbying to get that bank covered, right? So, there's a meeting that uh, a subcommittee finance meeting in the House and, and the, the representative from Oklahoma says to uh, Janet Yellen, Madam Secretary, you just bailed out Silicon Valley Bank and all of the depositors. So might understand that if 
one of my banks, regional banks in Oklahoma, fails that our constituents will be bailed out the same way. And she says, no. What? What do you mean, no? She says, no. It would take an uber majority vote between the FOMC, which is the Fed, the FDIC, myself, and the president, to determine if these banks were indeed systemic enough to bail out. Now, that was a fuse. She just lit the fuse right underneath the regional banking system, which is responsible for about 70% of all the small business loans in this country and the majority of all of the commercial real estate, which is already getting hammered because people figured out they don't need to be in an office to, to be productive in their job. And so she's lit a fuse under this already shaky system. And and when you talk about aiding and abetting, the, the, if you pulled up a graph of the reverse repo market, which has record amounts in it, nearly $3 trillion, versus the money market funds. They're, they're identical graphs. I mean, all of the money market money is going into the reverse repo market, which is a rate higher than the CDs can pay in a bank. So look at it from a depositor. You, you know, these banks, these regional banks, these, these banks relied less upon a balance sheet and a business plan and more about a personal relationship. You talk to people who live in middle America, they'll tell you, yeah, you know, I know, I know their whole family. We've worked with them for years. I, I, you know, I coached their, their, their son in Little League and on and on and on. It's about a relationship. And, and so you got this relationship and you also are running a business, uh, and you have $5 million in operating capital in the bank. That's your life, your business, your, that's it. And then you have your own personal savings. And in some cases, your children's savings and, and maybe retirement accounts, all sorts of stuff in these banks, and you have never felt anything but warm and fuzzy. Because after all, we all thought, why would we want to be in the big, impersonal, too big to fail, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City? Let's go to the regional banks where we have a relationship, right? And you don't have to be in all of those derivatives. You look at bank like JP, they got close to $50 trillion in derivatives. 31,688 seconds a years ago was a trillion seconds, 31,688. The numbers are so big, it's extraordinary. So everyone's in the regional banks, and then this happens. What do you do? Do you leave your money in there, and the best you can do in a CD might be 4%, let's say, or less, 3%, 3.5%. I mean, 10-year treasury now is 3.5%. So let's say 3% in a time-locked CD where you're, you're locked in versus taking your money. Oh, by the way, which Janet says, if they fail, chances are they're not going to be bailed out. Unless, of course, they're too systemic to fail. So why would you not take all of that money, except for the relationship, and move it over to Morgan Stanley or Citibank or B of A or Wells, who can offer you a money market account paying more than the CD with, with, with intraday, uh, you know, daily liquidity? not being locked in, and if the bank goes under, we've been told if they're too big to fail, they'll be bailed out. The fact that they are allowing this to happen, allowing all the money market money to go into the overnight reverse repo market, paying a higher rate than they can pay in the CD, tells me this is what they want. They want to blow up the regional banks and pen everyone into a handful of the commercial banks. It's very obvious to see why they would want to do that, the rollout of the new CBDC which the Bank of International Settlements told us that everyone has to have one by 2025. You see this new settlement currency at the IMF. We got Fed now coming out in July, and this is exactly what they want. And I'll give you an interesting little side thing that I don't really hear too many people talking about, and it's about a lady named uh, Lael Brainerd. Lael Brainerd ran for the Fed when Powell was up for reappointment. And I thought that she was going to win because, after all, why would – Biden reappoint a Trump uh, appointee, but he did. Surprise me. Now, Janet Yellen gets a lot of crap for being at the head of the Fed and now the head of the Treasury, but Lael Brainerd started at the Treasury, went to the Fed, and ended up being second in command at the Fed. She was vice chair here recently. She just left. She just left to head up the a, an economic advisory committee at the White House. She's got Biden's ear, so follow me here. When she ran for the Fed position. I read her thesis and it basically is modern monetary theory abolishing of all of the banks, including the commercial banks with moderate, with a monetary policy going directly from the Fed to the public and back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so if indeed they're embracing what Lael Brainerd had to say, started at the treasury, went to the Fed, number two in the charger and now at the White House, 
if you really did want to roll out a CBDC and get rid of the banks, step number one would be to get rid of the regional banks. There's five, nearly 5,000 of them. Slowly find a way to freak everyone out, get them out of the banks and get them penned into the too big to fail banks, incentivize them with higher returns than they can get in the banks that are shaky as is and uncertain and put them into the banks at a higher rate of return with daily liquidity backed by the, the Fed. And it's, you couldn't draw it up any more clearly. So I truly do believe that we have not by even a little stretch of the imagination begun to see the end of this banking problem with the regional banks. In fact, the biggest problem people in this country make is that they forget after a few days, oh, it must have been fixed. They papered it over. No worry. Let's go back to living our life. And I'm telling you, when this next bank fails and sets off a couple of more panic-driven uh, um, redemption requests of other banks that are, are on thin ice right now with no reserve requirements filled with, you know, treasuries that are at 2% that have lost 60% of their value and they have to start selling those assets to meet other redemptions. It's going to be a daisy chain and poof, the regional banking system goes away and everyone goes into the safety, supposed safety of these large banks. And to your point, we've seen out of north of well over a trillion dollars in, in the last two weeks leave these regional banks for the safety of the commercial banks. So, yeah, we haven't seen anything yet. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I don't think those comments by Janet Yellen are should be confused at all. I think whenever you're sending out any kind of a PR message, whether it's my team to our clients, we always game plan, first and foremost, what do we want to accomplish with this message, right? And how, therefore, should we word the message to make sure it's not so much what we say, but what action people take as a consequence of hearing it, right? And so, you know, read between the lines there, um, in, in terms of maybe relationships being the only thing that keep people with their regional banks, you know, how frequently do people visit their regional banks these days, right? It's all online or with your phone. Like those, those are no, not nearly as valuable as they were even five years ago, let alone I, 10, 15. I, my relationship with my bank is my, how much I enjoy the interface on my phone. I mean, that's really what it is, right? Yeah, uh, it is. The, the right. human to human tie is, is non-existent for me. And I'm a small business in a small town, by the way, like I am exactly the target, uh, town of 20,000 people, you know, five employees, like small business, small town. Um, so most people in that position are in a regional bank. They're not in Wells Fargo or B of A. They're in a small bank. And, and it, yeah. this is one of those moments where you need to make it, not you, but the people out there who are in this position need to make a decision. What do we do? Because if, if you believe that that is the play and you, I mean, if you look at it objectively, it's pretty hard to say, wow, that, that could possibly be it. Mm -hmm. If that, if that is what you are thinking, then, you know, it's a, it's a tough decision uh, to not, I think, leave the bank for the safety of some of an institution that will, will be bailed out supposedly if it fails. Now you could take it a step further and say you get everyone penned in and then blow up the, the commercial banking system because how, how incestuously tied up they are and in comes the CBD making everyone whole here. Take the CBDC and you will get what you just lost in your bank. I mean, now that's, that's, that's supposition. But I mean, when, if you think about the fact that CBDs are coming and, you know, Mark Moss did a deal on CBDC, it was scary as hell. He talked about the things inside the CBDC that the IMF published to all the, the banks where you can pause people's wallets. You, if, if, you know, the social credit score type of deal. These are real things that once would have been considered Orwellian that people would laugh at, and it is coming. And when the central bank or central bank, the BIS, says by 2025, you will all have an operational CBDC, it is coming. And if you're going to do that, you've got to get rid of the regional banks first. And it's much easier to, to do a shotgun approach when everyone is inside of a handful of the large commercial banks. And it's... It's one of the oldest uh, game plans in entrepreneurship, especially if you're trying to roll out new tech. I mean, I've invested in a few successful like clinic roll-up companies, dental clinic roll-up companies recently because they're developing some new tech that would be very effective in streamlined operations in dental clinics. But step one is you got to roll up the industry and consolidate. And so you start picking off these ma and pa, you know, single operator, single location clinics. So you have critical mass. Then you can roll out your new tech with efficiency, it's the exact same business plan, right? Let's step one, we got to consolidate the client pipeline. How do we do that? Well, we're not going to go and buy up thousands of regional banks, but we can scare the clients out. 
to the big players who are going to play ball with us, right? And then it's much easier to just distribute whatever your product is. Just happens to be CBDC. Oh well, but here it is, right? So walk. And you know the worst part about all this, Jay, is that you know that's why I like talking to guys like you and other people in the industry because it's cathartic for me. Because a lot of people with you know that that aren't paying attention would be like, "Come on, really? You really think that that's what they would do?" And and I do. And and it's hard to try. It's a noble endeavor to want to help your friends and family. Uh, most of them have no intention of beginning to want to understand or to give it enough credibility to understand. But yeah, and that's why I think that this will be easy picking for them to do. Um, I think it'll be an easy endeavor. You blow up a few of these, more of these regional banks. And look, like I said, I've never seen anything like what it was like. It's slowed down a bit right now because again, people's memory is short. But those first two, three weeks, I'm telling you, and I'm not joking, was 18 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. And I'm just one company. The whole industry experienced the same thing, and let alone what happened going into the regional bank, I mean, into the commercial banks. Yeah. You know, it's a funny comment you made. Like, people would be refusing to believe that maybe this could be the strategy coming from the top. And I, I don't know why we tend, not we as in you and I, but... You know, generally speaking, people tend to think politicians have different intentions than any other human being who's going to gravitate towards power, right? And, and authority. I mean, just it's, it is no, I don't, I don't understand why you would assume the intentions of anybody in a seat of power will be different just because they're in the White House or just, you know, it's the exact same game that Bezos is playing. It's the exact same game that anybody at the top of the pyramid is playing. It's consolidation of power. It's a human being with the same, you know, human nature drivers as the rest of us. Uh, why wouldn't they play in, be playing the exact same game? So, okay, now, now, what's the what's what's the battle there for Andy that you might see coming in terms of you know we have a bit of a currency war occurring right now. I wouldn't say it's it's massive, but you know the U.S. dollar influence is getting compromised at the margin, like. Not in any massive percentage basis, but you know, oil deals are being done outside of U.S. dollar. Gold deals, commodity deals in general, starting to become more common. Not common yet, but they're becoming more frequent than they were five years ago and, and a year ago for sure. Um, you know, is there a strategy behind a CBDC rollout that would have the intention of combating any competition to the U.S. dollar hegemony? Is there a play there, or what do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask me that question. <clears throat> when I spoke at your conference, I was interviewed by Michelle McCory, and it was one of the greatest interviews I've ever done because of the questions she asked me. And she said, Andy, I, you know, I, 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 I really do believe in a lot of what you're saying, but I'm going to push back for the sake of the listener. And I had no idea what she meant by that, but she asked some real tough questions. And that, that was one of them. And I, I thought about it and I, and I thought, you know, here's the deal. I've been talking for over three years in over 1,500 podcasts about the BRICS formation, about the de-dollarization. And, and, and it's something that I've seen very clearly, maybe something that I've seen more clearly than anything in my career. And I've gone on record literally for three straight years screaming about this, about this growing union of countries, the, the, the BRICS, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the Belt Road Initiative, the Eurasian Economic Union. You put all these countries together, you're north of 85% of human population not going green. You have a all of these unions that are being made, whether it be Brazil telling uh, China all of our trade will be in, in Yuan on the SIP system, the crossing or bank payment system, which sidesteps the SWIFT, or, or you know, Kenya telling their their uh, their citizens, if you hold dollars, dump them because something's going to change after he told uh, the United Arab Emirates in Saudi Arabia that we're going to pay for oil now in Kenyan shillings. There's all these little deals that keep going on all over the place. And little by little, it's like the game of Jenga. You keep pulling out pieces and eventually the whole thing falls over. But this is is something that I have been focusing on uh, for a very, very, very long time. And I believe that the way that they do this is to get everything into place before they snap their fingers. And, you know, I agree with you that there isn't, in and of themselves, there isn't a challenger worthy on many levels, whether it be militarily, whether it be 
economically, whether it be the share of, of currency transactions or the or the, the size of the markets or the liquidity, all of those things that people would push back against, I agree. But you put all of them together, all of these countries together, and and the, the cooperation that is being made, and then you start to see things like Mexico formally apply to BRICS, France strike a fifty-one point treaty with China ranging from 5G technology to military engagement, publicly saying that we cannot support uh, any any aggression against Taiwan and basically um, uh, going and standing behind China's one, you know, one country policy. And this is when you start to see our allies like Saudi Arabia, like Turkey, uh, like Mexico, like France, there's rumors that Canada is even thinking about it. Rumors. There are rumors that Japan is thinking about it. New Zealand, Australia, 19 countries have recently applied. 13 have already formally applied. Another six are on the, on the, um, have expressed interest and 60 plus more are being courted into this new union. And so until it happens, the dollar is, 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 has its hegemony until it happens. But once it happens, once they're, all the pieces are in place, I think that that will happen. There will be a challenge for, for the singular world reserve status. And I think it is coming and it will emanate out of the bricks. Now, how do we fight back? Because they told us, they told us it will be a currency backed by commodities, pegged by commodities. That's what we were told. We were also told that the Shanghai Cooperation Organization whom Saudi Arabia just formally applied to, which is basically the largest regional military and financial organization in the world. So they're already being protected by Russia and now by China. So the pieces are being put into place. They get protected by Russia the day we leave Afghanistan. They formally apply to BRICS. They formally apply to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. All of the OPEC countries are on the Belt Road. Do you see the formation? It's happening. Our allies are starting to move away from from the Western hegemony. They are. But how do we fight back? The only answer I was able to give Michelle was a new report that came out right around the time of your show um, by the International Monetary Fund. Now, the IMF was founded at Bretton Woods. We have veto rights there. It's, it's more of a Western-centric entity. And they published a report, and it was titled something to the extent of Gold, an international reserve, a barbarous relic no more, question mark. Now, you want to beat them at their own game? If they come out and issue a gold-backed, commodity-backed currency, which I swear they will, because what happened in April of 2019? The BIS reclassified gold as the world's only other tier one reserve asset. Why do you think the central banks are buying more gold than at any time ever? Oh, because it's a tier one asset, and it is the only other tier one asset next to U.S. dollars. The new system, whatever it is, is going to have to have a pegging to commodities because you're never going to drink that rancid Kool-Aid ever again when you see that our government, who controls the world reserve currency, not only is weaponizing it, but aside from that is doing what every other government since the beginning of time has done, and that is to choose inflation over austerity. So how do you win? You issue a gold-backed currency and you peg it to the new distributed ledger technology. And you do not make it convertible like these were because President de Gaulle from France proved that convertible currencies convert. But you peg it to the new system and use distributed ledger technology to show the veracity and the immutability of the new uh, currency that has pegging to it, and you have it audited, and you have it transparent. And this is Zoltan Pozar. What does Zoltan say? We're entering a new system. Bretton Woods 3 is a system dominated by transparency and commodities instead of debt instruments. And that's what I believe the only way that we could pull back what we would be losing would be to issue a currency with transparency, and that is is trustworthy because we've lost trust globally and it's increasing. And and I think the only way to ever make it work again is to use pegging of the only other tier one reserve asset using distributed ledger technology, showing the world having it audited by the big three. That is how you stop this run. It's the only way that I see, but that's just me thinking outside the box. Other than that, I don't know how you stop this trend, which I believe is firmly in motion. That's very interesting. I want to explore that concept a bit more. You know, follow-up question for you, Andy. Do you know 
of any other currencies. Now, obviously, not backed by gold. USD is not backed by gold. No currencies are that I know of right now. But are any other supported by a higher weighting in gold than the U.S. dollar? Like, do any central banks that you know of hold a higher proportion of gold reserves in value relative to their currency notes? Or is the United States still, as far as we know, holding the largest treasury in gold relative to their currency? Well, you know, that's that's an interesting question. And I'm going to try to find something here to answer that because I, I will answer it in a way that will surprise you. Um, the... Here it is right here. So, okay, why is it that our gold hasn't been audited since 1956 at Fort Knox? Why is it every time Ron Paul would stand up or Rand and say, hey, we want this audited, it gets it gets vetoed? Um, here again, lack of, of transparency. Uh, the Chinese try to tell us they have 2,500 metric tons or whatever. That's a bunch of crap. We know that. Alistair McLeod will tell you they have... Uh, closer to 38,000 metric tons, which would be five times the amount that we do, 18,000 held by the people and 20,000 by the state. No one is really being honest about it, but to your question, and I want you to think about this. These countries that I'm about to mention are have either applied to BRICS or in, in, uh, potentially will apply to BRICS or are in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization um, or on the Belt Road Initiative. And you ask, are there any that hold bigger in terms of a percentage of their reserves. Venezuela, who has applied to the BRICS, has 82% of their of their holdings, of their foreign reserve holdings, their reserves, rather, their reserves. 82% is in gold. Uzbekistan, 65%. Kazakhstan, 63%. Bolivia, 55%. Lebanon, 49%. Belarus, 40%. Turkey, the largest accumulator of gold in the world for the last 18 months has been Turkey, our ally who has formally applied the BRICS. Why do you think they're buying so much gold at 29% of all of their uh, re- reserves are in gold? Because it's the only other tier one and they're going to join BRICS and gold will be the, the barometer by which these, these, these countries have equal say at the table. They're going to use gold and they're going to use it to, to give them to, to peg to a system that will give everyone equal say. I mean, if you look at the way the BRICS is set up, every single year the presidency rotates. This year it's in South Africa. And so you they're doing it in a way that will give people equal say instead of having one dominant player like the, the U.S. and the IMF has veto rights at like 17% majority. I think they're going to do it differently here, that all of the countries who join are going to have equal say. But again, Turkey 29%, Pakistan 29%, Kyrgyzstan 22%. So you have all of these countries here that are massively accumulating gold, continuing to accumulate it, which represents a, a, a substantial portion of their reserves. Another way of saying that is that it used to be dollars, but they are de-dollarizing in favor of the only other tier one asset, gold. Hmm. Is there is there a play right now, Andy, where the, the United States has recognized they need to reshore key industries in order to be truly competitive, because right now, so much of what the United States consumes, even in terms of its competition with China and in terms of arming itself for potential conflict with China, are items that are bought from China, ironically. And this is a massive risk. And so the only way to really reverse this trend is to, I guess, reverse the purchasing of foreign central banks buying U.S. dollar treasuries, right? And and that's the only way you get... U.S. economy's mind around reshoring mega industries like this. So roundabout way of asking, like, are there advantages to the United States losing the reserve currency status? I don't know. I don't think so because maybe eventually, but let's follow that logic. What that really says is this. Since 1974, every single country on the planet has had to own dollars, has had to own dollars in order to to purchase oil. And that has created a a synthetic demand for the dollar. And there's way more dollars outside the the country than there is inside the country. And you know, 
it's, this has given the U.S. the privilege to do whatever it wants for decades simply because they have the reserve currency. And, and that, you know, every single country has had to hold these dollars and park vast sums of money inside the U.S. financial system in order to have energy. Well, if all of a sudden in one fail swoop, and I've talked about this with you uh, a year ago, Saudi Arabia who is now being protected by Russia and joined the Shanghai Cooperation Organization right now as a dialogue partner. That's the first step to being fully admitted. But they're working with them and in the BRICS and all of the OPEC countries on the Belt Road. On a Sunday night, they say, thanks for the memories. We're done taking dollars that are being inflated and treasuries that are being eviscerated. We're going to issue another currency or accept other currencies. As they told the folks in Davos, they are open to a month ago. And maybe that's even before you get a new settlement currency from the BRICS or the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Maybe they just take the yuan, which is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange, and and use it that way. But when that happens, bang, the dollar gets dumped globally, and this creates a tsunami of inflation that hits our shores. Now, when you have everyone dumping dollars at one time, creating this this wave of inflation, you have to have interest rates rise to a level to commensurate with this inflation. Imagine you have 20% inflation and 5% interest rates. Who's going to hold it when it's losing three times its value? So all the time, nobody. It will become toilet paper. It will become kindling. It will become Weimar Republic. So interest rates have to spike to to compensate for the inflation. Well, what happens to all of the assets in this country that makes everyone feel rich? Stocks, bonds, and real estate are inversely correlated to that. It will blow everything up. So if we lose the world reserve status, if we truly lose it and people dump dollars in favor of another settlement, I think it will be a religious experience. Um, in terms of, you know, look, yes, I think there are a lot of lessons that could be learned. I mean, we should, we should close all the military bases around the world. We should protect our borders. We should bring all the troops home. We should put as much money into our country as we do into others, where we've let millions and millions of people in this country illegally, where the number one cause of death among teenage kids now is fentanyl poisoning. And we can think it's okay to not build a border wall to, to stop this for $5 billion, but $125 billion to the Ukraine in a war that we shouldn't be fighting with, giving pensions to their government, we're borrowing money to give pensions to the Ukrainian government. We have a $1.75 trillion pension shortfall in this country. In a, in, an, in a country where Janet Yellen says we have to go to ex- extensive measures to raise the debt selling. The last time she did this, a few months ago, do you know what she did? She borrowed money from the Civil Servants Retirement Fund, the Disabled Veterans Retirement Fund, and the Postal Workers Retirement Fund borrowed. And in the same breath, the next article on Yahoo Finance is we just voted to give another $5 billion to the Ukraine. This, this, this country is so upside down in the things that they are doing. I don't think that they, even if they have the ability to find a positive in this negative, they wouldn't find it. In fact, the things that they are doing to me, including what they're doing to the banking system, is, I mean, it just, it just reeks of controlled demolition, that this is what they are trying to do. By weaponizing the dollar, did they not think that that would have consequences globally? We are sanctioning, I don't know, 30 countries right now around the world. The G7 is, or more. So, I mean, at what point does the rest of the world say, you know what, screw off, we're done with you guys. We're just, we're done. And that's what is happening right now. And I, I don't see any pleasant outcome, maybe after the dust settles. I would never count out the American spirit. And when our back's against the wall, that's when we do the best. But we have traveled so far down a very, very scary road that I just don't see it happening. And, you know, we got this deal about going green. You got you got uh, President Wududu from Indonesia where a good portion of all the rare earth metals are found. You just got Chile saying they're nationalizing their their um, lithium. And you got Wududu, who is a member of OPEC, saying all of us countries here who have the rare earth metals, we need to make an OPEC-style cartel for that, too. We haven't been thinking this stuff out too well. Step number one would be to, I believe, become energy independent again. And, and that is, we're, we're going the opposite direction. So, Jay, I wish I was more optimistic and had more roses and uh, smiles, but I, I just think that uh, it almost is like this is what they're trying to do by finding a villain 
rather than falling on the sword for the brain-dead monetary policy and all of the stupidity that we've done by suppressing interest rates for decades, creating these distortions and misallocations. It's those sons of bitches, Xi Jinping, Putin, and OPEC. They did it to us, right? Just like it was Putin's inflation. Really? Study Austrian economics for 30 seconds, and you know that inflation is always an increase in the money supply. It's a monetary event 100% of the time. It wasn't Putin. It was us by creating more money in the last four years than in the history of the country preceding it. So I think that this is what they want. I think that they realize... They just came out with their balance sheet. Social Security, $77 trillion underfunded. And, and Reuters told us last week it'll be bankrupt in, in less than 10 years. The largest asset in the United States is student debt. We're almost $200 trillion in debt. And again, a trillion seconds ago was 31688 years ago. There's your villain. They did it. Poof, everything blows up when everyone dumps dollars. Stocks, bonds, and real estate collapse. As interest rates rise, it's the Great Reset. Now you come in with your CBDC and you start from scratch. You start over using gold backing your new system. Could that be, you know, could that provide some optimism? Yeah, not, not until you go through a whole lot of pain, unfortunately, would be my, my feeling. And I, honest to God, I hope I'm wrong. My youngest kid's 16 years old and next week and I don't want them growing up. My three kids in a world that is any less filled with opportunities and safety than the one that, that you and I grew up in. I'm with you. I think about that a lot. My kids are very, very young. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm where I want to be in terms of geographically located, I think relative to where else we could live. You know, I'm Canadian. My wife's American. So that's kind of where we live between those countries. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, there's, yeah, I wouldn't make that move yet. What limitations, Andy? Okay. So a couple questions, actually. You know, you mentioned the, the, the volume of sanctions that G7 nations have placed in other countries. It is about 30. And they never work, by the way. A horrible track record of, of efficacy, right? Economic sanctions. And, you know, look at Venezuela, look at Cuba. Um, you know, a guest of mine this morning, Steve Hankey, was walking me through the sanctions that Jimmy Carter put on the Soviet Union to prevent American farmers from selling grain to the Soviet Union. And in theory, cutting them off of their grain supply, they obviously turned around and started buying from an American rival at the time, Argentina, right? And bankrupted a lot of American farmers as a consequence. The sanctions rarely work the way that we want them to, yet they're always the knee-jerk reaction, the first response of our leaders, right? Let's lead with economic sanctions. And we're staring in the face right now of another kind of example of how they rarely go the direction we think they will. Do you think that is just is just short-sighted, short-term uh, decision-making or like, is it is it a flex from politicians that's hard to understand initially, but there's longer-term consequences? Like, what are your thoughts on, on the economic sanctions strategy and why it's so ineffective? Well, I mean, you could argue it was effective. It's had effect simply based upon the fact that the dollar is the world reserve currency. And if you, if you cut off the oxygen, to be able to trade by kicking people out of SWIFT, certainly it has some impact. But what it does is it also angers everyone. And 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 I think even you can see that when Macron was in um in China and he came out and he said that um that I'll read it to you. He says uh Russia, China, Iran and other countries have been hit by US sanctions in recent years and um, and, and that based on denying access to the dominant dollar denominated global financial system. Some in Europe have complained about weaponization of the European weaponiz- weaponization of the dollar by Washington, which forces European companies to give up business and cut ties with, with countries or face crippling san- secondary sanctions. I think he's talking about there was a bank in France that was uh, fined over $4 billion for trading with an Iranian company. What we have done is incentivize the rest of the world to find an exit because, you know, you look at a country like the West who can go into Iraq under the guise of weapons of mass destruction, blow up the entire country and then say, oops, we're sorry. We didn't find any. And there's, there's no, there's no consequences yet. We are the ones who can say, yeah, Jay, you can use it, but no, you can't over there and you can't over there as the custodian of the world reserve currency. It is not our prerogative to say who can and who can't use the dollar and to sanction them that way. That should be for world opinion, if anything. When you look at the sanctions on Russia, 
you know, 85% of the world's still trading with them. China and them are, are tighter than ever. It isn't working. And all it has done, I believe, is seek to accelerate the global devalorization because all of these countries like Saudi Arabia and like uh, China, who has their eyes set on Taiwan and Saudi Arabia has their eyes set on selling oil to the rest of the world who's not going green. Well, if we're on the wrong side of these guys, then we're going to get sanctioned and we're going to have our assets frozen. And look, the European Union just took a whole hell of a lot further than that by saying, oh, by the way, Russia, the assets that we sanctioned, we're now confiscating them and using them to rebuild the Ukraine. You are watching very, very in real time, I guess, the rest of the world push back against that and say, you know what, it's time for us to find an exit out the other way of this building because this is going to continue forever. And I think that's exactly why you're seeing the de-dollarization and the formulation. And I guess if I were going to, to say how you make this work from their, their side, you have to have everything in place first. And if you look piece after piece after piece after piece after piece after piece for the last three years is being put into place on every level. And then one morning, it'll be a Sunday night, Monday morning, bang, you're going to wake up and all hell's broken loose. Markets are going to be limit down. Rates are going to be going to the moon. The dollar is going to be dumped as the petrodollar. Other currencies will be allowed to purchase oil and all hell will break loose. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm getting at with all of this is, are they doing this purposely? I mean, you look at the idiocy of the moves they're making, wonder, I mean, are they that stupid or did they not realize that these are going to have consequences? And I would argue they do realize that they may be nefarious. They're not that idiotic. And when you weaponize the world reserve currency, when you go and do the things that we have done to incentivize the world to move away, the only thing that comes to mind is that we've gone so far down the, the, the debt road where we're, you know, 31 trillion in debt, 77 trillion on social security, military, uh, government, military pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, that's all off balance sheet. That's 150 trillion in and of itself. We're nearly 200 trillion in debt. We'll never pay it off. As rates rise, it cripples the country. So you have two options, fall on the sword and, and, and be written about in history books as being idiotic monetary stewards of the world reserve currency or find a villain. Mm-hmm. I choose find a villain. That's what they're thinking. The same way they said it was Putin's inflation. Find a villain. No, it wasn't. You printed more money over four years and, and kept interest rates, so you created distortions that the world has never seen in asset prices. That is the point, is that I think they, they're they at this, kind of like we were saying earlier, the public just doesn't get it. The public will never dig deep enough to understand this. And maybe it comes out. But I think it, it's one of these deals where either they inflate or default and option C that was never on the table is find a villain to do it for you. And I think that's what they are. I mean, to me, it's the only thing that makes sense. Either that or the people running this country are just completely lost <laughs> because the they're making are just ridiculous. Well, and, and it's, it's, it's hard to follow with conviction because as you said, you know, you put this in place, then that in place, and this in place, and that in place until the system is built, and then you can roll out whatever you want. And, and it's hard to follow that story because it's almost like you have to read a chapter, but you only get to read one chapter per year. And the other 11 and a half months of the year, you have to read something else, right? Like we put something in place, but then, oh, you know, Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump over here, pay attention to this. And then another piece gets put in place. And oh, Discord CIA leak over here, pay attention to this. And then another little piece and then election cycle over here. And so we're constantly taking people out of the storyboard, right? And how are you supposed to follow the thread if there's constant disruption and distraction pulling you into these superficial short-term news events that don't really matter, but they're highly entertaining and seductive and pull people away from whatever, you know, whatever else might be occurring. Well, Jake, guys like you are the media now. I mean, not only that, I mean, if all you're doing, even if you're watching Fox News, you're not getting any of this. Yeah, they... I've been talking about this for three years, screaming about it in, in over 1500 podcasts. There's a record of it. And Tucker Carlson and, 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 uh, CNBC or, or whatever. I don't even watch it. They started talking about it a few weeks ago, like they're onto something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they're so far behind the curve. People are so far asleep at the switch that they will never really realize. What is happening? And you know, the worst part about it is you can't get out of the way of something that you don't see coming. And if you don't see coming, they're going to run people over in a massive, massive way. And 
you know, it, it's just, it's frightening to me because whether it be destruction of the system from within, of blowing up the banking system, uh, letting the whole thing blow apart and then issuing a new CBDC or or more likely the rest of the world saying we're, we're just going to find an alternative to the dollar standard and one that will be backed by commodities. Again, why are the central banks buying more gold than at any time in the, ever? Why? Why was gold reclassified tier one? Why gold? All of these things are happening piece by piece by piece. And you know, when I started talking about it in really in 2019, when the reclassification happened and the banks started repatriating their gold and accumulating it in the Belt Road Initiative. You were right, little by little by little, but it's like a roll of toilet paper. And it, it, it's it's slow. And then as you start to, to get going, and here we are now, and I can see the cardboard, and it's spinning fast, and we're getting close to that cardboard. What is that cardboard? I don't know. Is it the announcement by, by BRICS or is it the announcement by by Saudi Arabia and OPEC, who is now in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, in the Belt Road Initiative, applied to BRICS, being protected by the rest of the world, who's not going green that, hey, we're done taking dollars. Bang. Game over. That fast. That quick. Is that what is happening? I don't know. Did they do this purposely by weaponizing the dollar to get to this point? Because how do you ever pay? What, what would the world look like if we woke up tomorrow morning to no food stamps, to, to no Social Security, to uh, no pensions, government pensions, to all of these entitlements, gone. What would the world look like? How do we begin to pay off a debt burden that we have? Most of it accumulated at the lowest interest rates in human history. You don't. You can't. We've offshore offsourced all of our manufacturing. We don't produce anything anymore. You can't. And so I think it's either inflate, default, or find a villain that does it for you. Those are your three choices. And and all my entire career, I said there were two choices, inflate or default, inflate or die. That's what Richard Russell always used to say. Now you've got a third. And that, from a political standpoint, is probably the most appealing. Find a villain, blame them, a rallying cry, and then let everything blow up. Your patriotic duty is to stick with it. Take the new CBDC, you'll be made whole, and start there from, from scratch with the new system backed by gold. Could that happen? I don't know. It seems logical to me. I'll tell you this. All the way up until the what if, that's all fact. The what if, I'm just putting one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven together and say, well, what does eight, nine, and ten look like? Mm. That's, uh, that's, I guess, open for debate. But any way you look at it, it's not pretty for the status quo as it is right now. Look, Andy, I want to thank you for coming back on the show, man, and chatting with me, getting uh Getting back in front of my audience, I really do appreciate it. You're a blast to talk to, and I learn a ton when we do. Likewise. Likewise. It's an honor, Jay. It really is. I love what you're doing, and uh, thanks for having me. And, again, <clears throat> anytime that you uh, that something crazy happens and you want to get a, a glimpse of what's going on in the metals market or just, just chew the fat, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a text or a phone call away and jump on at moment's notice. Thanks for having me. 100%, man, 100%. And we'll see you again in person at the VRIC in Vancouver in January. It. Wouldn't miss it. And everyone out there, you should go check out the show. It's one of the best I've ever been to. So thanks for having me, Jay, and I look forward to picking up where we left off hopefully real soon. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Andy.